Hey everybody, welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me as always from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tam Jancy. Tim, happy Halloween, bud. How's it going? It's good. Looking forward to uh, handing out candy to trick-or-treaters tomorrow and uh, already got to do a Halloween party, so I'm pretty happy. Looks like it's... Oh, and it's not like negative 10, so I, I'm loving it. You're loving it. Well, you're just loving that you're not in a snowstorm right now. Yeah. Although it was a little nice recording during the snowstorm because that meant I was inside and not outside. <laughs> this, is, this is true. This is true. However, it was a shorter episode, but that's okay. We'll get to talking a little bit about that in a few moments. Now, Tim, we got ourselves an episode ahead of us. We got three games to talk about. Lots of stuff to talk about top of the air. But we're going to kick things off the way we always do by talking about our cover athlete for this episode, Season 7, Episode 3, in chronological order, Episode 153, the Matthew Pekka edition of the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. So just a little background about Michael Pekka, or Matthew Pekka, sorry. He was selected 201st overall by the Tampa Bay Lightning in 2011. He played parts of six seasons in the NHL with Tampa Bay, Montreal, Ottawa, and St. Louis, recording three assists in 14 games for... The Ottawa Senators. Now, you know what I learned? What? He actually has no relationship with Michael Pekka. That's amazing. That's on it. You, and you would think with the last name like Pekka that him and, in the NHL, yeah, yeah, like him and Mike Pekka would have been related somehow. No relationship whatsoever. And uh, he laughs because everybody thinks that there is one, just isn't. And that's probably the most interesting thing I can say about Matthew Pekka. Right. I mean, it's. Because Pekka's not an overly common last name. It's not like Mm-mm. Williams or Jones. Mm-hmm. Or even like Nylander, considering we're pulling from uh, Sweden. Yeah, or Carlson. Carlson. <laughs> C or K. Exactly. Sebastian now, uh, Aho, apparently. Right? Yeah, we live in a dimension where we have two Sebastian Ahos in the NHL right now. I hope they end up on the same team at some point. Honestly, the only way that could be any better is if one was 22, the other was 33. Or, or That's or funny, do, yeah. Or do you think 11 and 22 would have been better? Hmm. 11 and 22 is pretty good. Yeah, I think our listeners should uh, messages at Third Line Plug on social media and let us know what you think. Can we have Sebastian Ajo as a cover athlete next week? And which then one? as a podcast game, we just have guess which Sebastian Ajo. And all we have to do is name it after a stat line. Yeah, or like the one who plays for the Islanders, the one who plays for or older, younger. Yeah, yeah. No, I think we got. I think we got something here. Yeah, and they're both in the same division too. They're same. <laughs> oh, that's so good. It is so good. Now, unfortunately, what's not so good is we're going to give an honorary shout out for our cover athlete for today's episode. Of course, many people may have already known about the tragic passing of. Friends actor Matthew Perry, noted Ottawa Senators fan, grew up in Ottawa, even though he wasn't born and raised, or wasn't born in Ottawa, sorry. And Matthew Perry, he's one of those guys, and this is what I've said in the past, I was talking with Adam on our podcast, it's, when it comes to us as Canadians, whether it's an athlete or a musician or somebody in the entertainment business, when... They they could come from the United States, but when they come up here, we claim them as our own. Yeah. And Matthew Perry was no exception. Honestly, I have to admit, I didn't watch a lot of Friends, so didn't really follow much of Matthew Perry's work, but it's still 
kind of sad to know that noted Sets fan passing away. At this time, I think the investigation into his passing is still ongoing. Yeah, so we won't speculate in what happened. Obviously, we usually don't anyway, but it was still pretty sad to hear that news. And it came as such a shock because Matthew Perry was somebody who... He's young. Very young. I, th- I believe he was 53 years old when he passed away. But he was somebody who, even through the run of Friends, like he dealt with substance abuse issues up until the last couple of years where he finally got sober and it finally stuck. And then he unfortunately passed away, which is incredibly sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not much more you can say, right? Exactly. The guy did live a good life. Getting clean is hard. It is. It is. And I think for me, Katrina and I were talking about this, is that Matthew Perry, he's one of those actors that you would think he's been in more because of how like people seem to really love Matthew Perry. And a lot of it did come from friends. But, people, but we were talking about this. And it's like, yeah, like... I had thought Matthew Perry would have been in a lot more movies and TV shows, but you look at his IMDb page, not a ton. He did some work for sure, but it wasn't like anything that really sticks out. I guess the big thing is like, what's wild to me is he had a year, a career for almost 20 years before Friends. Like That's a long time to stick with it before getting your breakthrough. It is. And definitely seeing how Friends definitely has come back into the public eye in the last couple of years with the show being on Netflix, on streaming services, a new generation is discovering it. Like you, I never really watched it, but I will go on record and say this. I gotta say, the Friends theme song, one of the instant recognizable, I would say it's one of the better theme songs around. Yeah, like I think what most people think of sitcom theme songs they either go to Friends or Cheers. Ooh, I was going to say to The Office. Oh, yeah, The Office, too. You know what? And I guess I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think The Office theme is overrated. I wouldn't even be able to think of what it is off the top of my head. Did How I Met Your Mother even have one? Kind of, yeah. It was just like, da, 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 da. That was pretty much it. I never cared for that show. It's a show that I tried to get into because I like the cast. Like I love Jason Siegel. I, I like, I like the, Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris is great. I like the casting. And yet there's just not much about the show that really stuck with me. The writing's really dated. Mm-hmm. And I'm not often one to kind of complain about misogyny in writing. Neil Patrick Harris's character, Barney did not age well like not even did not age well i don't think it was particularly funny at the time like i remember like people quoting it all the time in first like first year undergrad and it's just just very misogynistic yeah it just kind of left a bad taste in your mouth yeah like it was like it was like glorifying glorified womanizing but it almost seemed like the character hated the women he slept with it's not like, say, Charlie from Two and a Half Men, who was also a womanizer, but he could definitely tell you he didn't hate them. Charlie was, like, a bit better written, but Two and a Half Men's issue was the women in that show were definitely more objects than characters. Yeah, I find that the creator of that show had the exact same problem with other shows that he's created i felt like even with the big bang theory i found like a lot of the issues that i had with two and a half men was definitely in that show as well which is why i always 
it's always surprising that most of that guy, like most of Chuck Lauer's shows are hits. Like Two and a Half Men was a hit. Big Bang was a massive hit. King of Queens was a big hit. Chuck Lorre wrote King of Queens? I thought Chuck Lorre... Didn't he... Chuck Lorre wrote King of Queens? I'm pretty sure he was involved in King of Queens. We're looking that one up. Yeah. Chuck Lorre. Why are you doing that? I mean, it's funny. Katrina and I were also talking about King of Queens the other night as well because we were talking about shows like the Drew Carey show and stuff like this. And it's like... It's one of those shows that... I'm almost afraid to go back and rewatch him the the entire way through because I always find that because I did like him as a kid growing up. I wonder if I go back and it's not as funny as I remember them being. I'm pretty. I would not be surprised. Like, yeah, not at all. Like, I remember like kind of liking Two and a Half Men when I was growing up, and going back to it even in undergrad, I was like, this isn't very good. The one that I I missed at the time, I. Ended up watching a few episodes and I actually did, did get a kind of a good feel for it was I did like House. I haven't actually watched it. Like I've seen clips of House on social media and stuff. And it seems like a very, I don't know. I think the character of House seems like he would be kind of a one trick pony. It's funny that they managed to make him not that. Really? Like, sure, it's obvious like, haha, he's got autism, but... No, they actually managed to build like a somewhat deep character who had like his own like sure he was usually bright, but he had his own demons. He ended up grading on his team but due to his dominating style. So like they actually managed to take that character and build an interesting show with him and around him. Okay, so you're so you're saying like I should maybe go check check that show out. I think it's a reasonable show. Right. Oh, King of Queens was Michael J. White. Ah, okay. So it was right. Michael J. Waythorne. I thought it was Chuck Lar for some reason. You know what's a show that's actually aged surprisingly better than I thought it would be is My Name is Earl. I remember really liking that one as a kid just because it was so bizarre. Yeah. Like it definitely was the haha look at the trailer trash type of show. But it was like there was like some a level of weird earnestness to the writing. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't be mad at Crabman. Oh, I love Crabman. Honestly, I think for me, even though the show was based around Earl, I find like the supporting cast was really good. I really think mm. so many strong performances. Ethan Supley as Randy. I love Randy. He was so good. That show Crabman was great. Joy kills me every time I see her because one of my really good friends I used to work with Reminds me so much of Joy. Because <laughs> jo- Joy was uh, Jamie-, Jamie Presley, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, depending on who you ask, people might think she's Margot Robbie, too. Oh, does she have two hard actresses? or No, because like that's been like the joke on, me- on not so-, so much social media. Right. On the internet is that Jamie Priestley and, yeah, Jamie Priestley and Margot Robbie are doppelgangers. <laughs> because if you look at both of them side to side, you can be like, yeah, I could see that. No, that's funny. That's funny. That is funny, Tim. Actually, you know what's really funny, Tim, is that we're going to move away from talking about our cover athlete and talk about next week's cover athlete for next week's episode. Season 7, Episode 4, Chronological Order, Episode 154. We don't have one. Sebastian Ajo's right there. I know. Oh, buddy. I know. It's a TBA right now. 
<laughs> I don't think we've ever had this yet, a TBA. We've definitely had episodes where, oh, no one's ever worn that number for the Senators before. But then we usually had a better gimmick. Yeah, but I think that over the years, I think we've kind of used up the gimmicks at this point. That's like, I mean, we can go with a certain sense memory, a coach, noodles. Like we could do stuff like this, but it feels like, well, we've kind of already done that. Yeah. It's it's tired. It's tried. But however, to what isn't tried and tired is asking the question that our listeners love knowing. How's your week been going, man? It's been good. Went to a Halloween party and for... So do you remember those stupid Beyblade tops? So apparently in Japan, they're now made with metal. So we imported a bunch. I just started dicking around with Beyblades as a Halloween <laughs> And it was uh, a lot more fun than it had any business being. Until I cut my finger. I you wasn't know, the first person to get hurt. You know, Tim, I'm going to say this. Like, when you got married in the Ottawa Boys came out, they had a term very on brand you telling me that is very on brand for you but tim's the person who got the most injured from play- dicking around with beyblades yes the fact that you would import beyblades from japan that are made from actual metal <laughs> from actual metal yeah and i guess i was playing with the one that kind of looked like it like they had like kind of shaped like a sawtooth but had rounded edges and i called him knifey he was the best one let's be real it's true. It and is. then just, it kind of weirdly, so it has like a covered stadium thing where they fight and like you shoot them in, but obviously there's got to be ways for them to get out if there's ways for them to get in, right? Mm-hmm. And like they bounced weird and shot out the top and then landed on my finger while still rapidly spinning in the air. And I guess like as they were fighting, they started getting chips and stuff. It's so one of the chips just tore off part of my knuckle. Ooh. Yeah, and it was funny because I was like, oh, it's not it's not going to be that deep of a cut. So uh, Chelsea just put a little Band-Aid over my knuckle. And then <laughs> I Where's had the to ba- change the Band-Aid. Show me the battle scars. <laughs> okay, so described audio. Tim is showing left index finger to camera. About a cut that's about a quarter of an inch wide. Well, let's see that again. Let's see that again. Uh yeah, yeah, about that. I would say about that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and it just, it was funny. We put all the band-aid and all of a sudden I was like looking and I could just see the blood on the other end of the gauze pad coming through like the whole <laughs> he's like really I have a deep cut from a Beyblade. <laughs> yeah, like I am 30. Good lord, Ben. If you go to Calgary General Hospital or whatever the big hospital in Calgary, try to explain that to them. No, I would never see anyone there. Have I told you what the wait time at a Calgary hospital can get to on a busy night? No. Six to seven hours. And I've been told, like, Vic General and some of the Vancouver hospitals are no better. Yeah, I can believe that. Like, that's just, it's wild, man. It is wild. Now, I love the fact that you were talking about going to a Halloween party. Before we hit record, I asked you, like, oh, what did you go as? You went... I didn't. I wouldn't as myself. I mean, I'm glad I didn't have a costume because I would have bled all over it. <laughs> this, this is true. Although I do have to laugh. Somebody on, I think it was Instagram, they posted a picture of 
he and his girlfriend's Halloween costume. He was dressed as Randy Johnson. She went as the bird. That killed me. I was like, that's funny. I'm not going to lie. And it's creative, too. No, that is good. That is good. But I will say, though, Tim, like when you told me that you just went as yourself, I told you as his buddy, it's not a costume if you live the gimmick. Every day, man. Every day, my friend. Every day. Now, I know for myself, like I won't be dressing up for Halloween this year. But this past week, Trina and I celebrated our two-year anniversary on Tuesday. Nice. So it was really good. So of No course, food poisoning this time? No food poisoning. Now, of course, because it was our two-year anniversary, we were thinking about, oh, you know, we should go up for dinner up in Nanaimo and whatever. And she's like, okay, no, that's great. And so we originally were going to go to this one place called The Bold Night. It's kind of a steak, steak and seafood place. Okay. It's one of these places, if you drive into Nanaimo, it's a building on the right-hand side going into town, like past the Home Depot and all that. You look at this building and you're like, that seems like an odd location for a restaurant. It just kind of seems out of the way. And I've driven past this for so many years. And it's to the point I'm like, is that a place even open? Like I never see any cars or anybody in there, but I've been told the food's really good. And I've been told that people actually do go there. So it's like, oh, cool. Right on. Whatever. And so we ultimately decided not to go there. Oh. Because we were talking and Katrina's like, you know what? I got a really big hankering for ribs. So we went to the clashiest location in town, Montana's. I got to say, I do like Montana's. I know what how you feel about the chain restaurants. And I will be happy to say they do accept Amex. Okay. That it's acceptable. It is very acceptable. And honestly, I Montana's the food's pretty good, to be quite honest with you, for a rib and I think it's a yeah, it's a rib place, but it's like a barbecue style. But we got the medium, and the medium is like nay. Nay of like about a, like a foot or so. Yeah, I would say. And I remember we we ate our dinner, we finished it. We're looking at each other going like I think we should have got the large. The larger, like right. Nice. And honestly, it's really good. And the cornbread, oh, mwah, cornbread, so good. So good. I guess it's the, I live in Calgary. I'm spoiled by good barbecue. Yes. Even Minas. So like, I just wouldn't go to Montana's. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, you live in Calgary. I mean, you really, you have your choices, right? Where we yeah. really don't have that here on the island. That's fair. That's fair. There used to be some good barbecue places in Victoria, but I think they all closed. Yeah, but you know what I remember? Do you recall when Montana's used to always have a Kelsey next to them? Is Kelsey's? I I, I forgot that Kelsey's was a thing. Kelsey's is no longer a thing. They have ads on Sportsnet. Did they just close all the ones on the island? But yeah. I haven't seen any locally. In, maybe they just like, re just closed out in Western Canada because I haven't thought of kelsey's in a very long time i never cared for kelsey's i think we went there once for dinner when i was a kid and i remember my burger being burnt i've never been to one so it's you're not missing much i wouldn't imagine i was so yeah but no montana's was good montana's was good we really enjoyed it we had a great time and it's funny we were sitting at our table and we look over there's this older woman sitting at the bar by herself having dinner and I uh-huh. looked at her. You see, you see that, babe? That woman there 
has a beer and a big glass of wine. She's living her best life. And then not. Here's the thing, though. I went to the washroom. I came back when once we were done, and she was having dessert. And I was like, oh, thumbs up. This this lady clearly is living her best life. Beer, wine, and desserts. There's zero fucks given right here. Fair, fair, fair. I don't know. I do like I do like dessert. Do you, do you have a favorite dessert? Probably apple crisp or apple crumble. Ooh, apple crisp is really good. But yeah, it's like the only time I'll ever get like a dessert at a restaurant is if I'm out with Chelsea. Because otherwise, if I'm like a group of people, it's like I bet most people just want to get their check. I'm not gonna get a dessert. Yeah, there's like a almost like a code of conduct, isn't there? Or yeah. is, that, is that more of an etiquette? I think it's an etiquette yeah, sort of thing. I, see, I would feel the same way. Like if it was just like you, Chelsea, Katrina, and I. Okay, maybe. You That's would like, ask. I would ask. That's a hard maybe. But if it was like when we went to Mina's where it was like the four of us plus Des plus Jay and Dana. No. I would not go for that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's about where I am. Okay, so what do you... Okay, so here's the great question. So are you saying if it's a party of four, you ask, party of six, you say you don't do it? That would be my general thing. Unless there's like... You can tell that everyone's down for dessert. Yeah, but I think at that point... You have to read the room. You do have to read the room. And I but, think that's a very good way to do it because you don't want to be that guy. Yeah, so it's like generally no. But if that's the way things are leaning, then yeah. yeah if that I makes feel, sense. I feel honestly the move, you don't get dessert at the restaurant. You wait until everybody's done, everybody's left. And if you're still feeling it, go get it on your own. Depend depends on the restaurant. Also, obviously, if it's a restaurant that's known for its desserts, then all rules off. Yeah, but what restaurants would would you apply that ruling to, though? There's a few of them. There's a few. Ah, uh, shoot. There's one that I... I'm blanking on the one I'm thinking of in Calgary. That, yeah, whenever we go there, it's like, yeah, we are getting dessert because it's good. I'm off. Feel bad. I'm already blanking on the name of the restaurant, but uh, that's okay. That's okay. We'll we'll circle back to this later on. There's a there's like a few in Victoria that are like, yeah, you get the dessert. Yeah. Although Victoria is definitely more brunch. I would agree with this. Yes, absolutely. But I know that one of the guys that used to work at the school, and he's a bit of a foodie. He was telling me there was a restaurant downtown in Vic that anytime he goes there, he'll always get the bread pudding. I know which one it is. It's it's off of Douglas too. It's off of Douglas. It's not Pegliacci's. Isn't Pegliacci's? Isn't it's Italian? Off? Yeah, isn't and that... that's on Broad. Yeah, I was gonna say that's way down Douglas. Yeah, yeah, that's right across from the whatever hotel there. Or am I thinking of a different place? Oh, it's near the Empress. Yeah, I hate. I'm I'm so mad that I've just blanked on these restaurants. This is why we need to call an audible and get Chelsea to come in for this one. Aw, uh, she needs to sleep. <laughs> uh, that's fair. That is fair, man. <laughs> I know this is going to bug you, though, isn't it? It is. It really. Is. I need to write down. That's one of the things. Is like I When I travel, I often write down the hotels. Sorry, like not the hotels, the restaurants that I go to. Right. Uh, but, uh, 
yeah, I don't really do that. But where on Douglas is it? This place that we're talking about? Yeah. I don't know. It's off of Douglas, too. I, I can't recall the name. I did like the the desserts at Il Terezo, but that's uh, right at the Johnson Street Bridge. I don't think I ate there. No. Yeah, this is going to haunt me. I know. And you know what, though? It's going to be one of these things that once we stop recording, you'll like, oh, yeah. I remember. Immediately remember. Yeah, you'll immediately message me at whatever time at night and be like, dang. Although uh, Discovery Kona, sorry, Discovery Coffee and Hey Happy in Victoria have really good donuts. You know what's the worst part is like I can imagine eating the dessert. You can imagine eating it, but you just can't remember the name. Can't place it is the problem. Oh, I know, right? It's just like certain stuff that you're just like, oh yeah, I remember that. But like, where? Where was it? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so here's the move: when you travel to a city that you've never been to. When it comes to restaurants, do you Google it? Like, okay, best restaurants in town? Or do no. How do you, what's the move for you? So for me, I usually just look at a map. Okay. And then I will arbitrarily pick a restaurant unless I'm looking for something very specific. Okay. So say you're at the hotel. Like, are you going by what's the closest by the hotel? No, it'll depend what I'm doing. So okay. for, or I'll get... Or if I have friends in the area, I'll get a recommendation from them. I sometimes Google if I if it's like first time in there. Often I'll just be like, in Japan, I'm I'm really bad for this. I will uh, just walk in. Sometimes I'll just walk into one of the first restaurants I see. Yeah, but you know what? Though, and I, I gamble. You can gamble, but sometimes that works. It's worked out both very very well for me and very badly. Yeah, like me in Seattle. You in Seattle. Like uh some like some of the best sushi I've had is just Tim randomly going into a hole in the wall. And some of the worst sushi I've had, like worst sushi ever is just going into a hole in the wall. Yeah, but you know what though? I find that the holes in the wall sushi, yeah, I can kind of see your gambling. You know what's really good though? If you find a hole in the wall Chinese place. Where's the last hole in the wall Chinese place I went? But yeah, no, I agree with that. There was um, one in Chinatown in Victoria. It was just some hole in the wall freaking place that we went to one time. And I thought, oh man, this is amazing. Have you ever sat down and eaten at a Chinese restaurant? Yes. I think I've done it once. And I think it was like Fountain Diner, but it was like, sorry, not Fountain Diner, it's like Frick, it's the one that's by like the Boston Pizza and the LCBO where Hillside Cross is Blanchard. Oh god. Uh... Oh Fount Fountain Palace, is that what it's called? Is this just is this gonna be the episode where uh, we're gonna get another two-star review on uh iTunes because instead of talking about hockey, we just were haunted by food places for 30 minutes? Yes. <laughs> yeah, but you know what though the move for me when i go to a town like if i'm in vancouver or seattle or whatever i will i will google it i'll be like say i want to go for breakfast yeah. breakfast places say seattle and yeah. i'll look at a couple of places and i'll look at the menu and i'll look at the pictures i'm like oh that looks good whatever like we went to the portage bay cafe which is on terry avenue in seattle mm. really good uh, i have the weird 
Tim and food in Seattle is the weirdest relationship because I don't think I've been to a restaurant that wasn't on like Fifth or Pike. Yeah. Because I'm always just at the convention center. Yeah, and that's fair, man. Like, <laughs> if you, like you said, if you're near something, you're immediately going to go like, okay, is there a good place nearby? The problem was it was the Cheesecake Factory. Oh, yes. You were telling me about the infamous Cheesecake Factory move in 2010. Yeah. And uh, actually, there used to be a really nice uh, sushi place down uh, in downtown there by the convention center called Blue Sea. And it was a Kaiten Sushi, so conveyor belt sushi. And it didn't survive COVID. Oh, that's a shame. It really is. There's actually a seafood place down on, I think it's down by the pier. It's super, it, it is kind of expensive. But one of the guys I used to work with, he and his husband went there so many times in Seattle and they love it. And we were going to go there, but we're looking at the prices and it was so expensive and it's all in American. I was like, oh my God. Oh I, no. You know, again, doing the translation in my head, you're not going to be paying that Canadian. <laughs> Yummy. Oh, that's one of my favorite traveling stories. I was just hanging out, like uh, we were down in LA and my buddy got a uh, jambalaya from this place at la live and la live which is next to the staples center is going to be expensive right oh yeah it, it, he's like oh 30 dollars for jambalaya that's not too bad mm-hmm. and then he bought it he's like and they looked at the receipt afterwards it's like oh who ordered the 30 dollar jambalaya that was me and we're laughing because i'm like my friend this is 40 dollar jambalaya don't say that <laughs> well i had my 25 dollar catfish yeah, so who are you to talk? No, that catfish was great. Really? Did they deep fry it? No, it was catch of the day. Ooh. Yeah, that thing was awesome, and I got it for like 24 bucks. Well, the guy got you get plate of rice and fish for 30. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, my friend. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yo, you know what is... Okay, last place, because I do love talking about I love the Breakwater Cafe in Victoria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you took John and I there when we were in Victoria. And man, do not get clam chowder on a warm day <laughs> where you're going to exactly be traveling. <laughs> that is a mistake. You and John, you and John ordered that. And I'm sitting there with my poke bowl looking at you guys going like, you guys are dumb. Is it easy? Well, you gave me shit because what time did we get there? It was like it wasn't 11, even noon yet. It was 11, 11 30 in the morning. <laughs> and you and John are like, you know, you, you know, you're like, I'll have a diet coke, John's like, I'll have a water. What kind of beer do you guys have? And you're like, Hey, it's eleven in the morning. I'm like, I know I'm on vacation now. <laughs> it's eleven in the morning. I know what I'm about, sir. Well, it was like it was eleven in the morning. And we still have things to do today. That's why I only ordered one. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Although in fairness, by the time that you got to our your bachelor party, I was just like, yeah, I'm I'm tapping out. Uh, to be fair, the Ottawa guys had been drinking since two. You did not tell me that, by the way. I you, didn't know that. You left me with them and you never again, I didn't know and you didn't know, and I felt like Bastard never told me this. Did you try to catch up? A little bit. 
Well, not as much as Anthony. Like, Christ, he was... That man was not catching up. That man was leading. Dude, he was lapping us. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think if I had paced myself better, I think I probably could have gone the full night, but I know I would have been dead the next day. I would... To everyone's credit, everyone was functional the next day. That's right. I don't know how Anthony was. I saw him the next morning, and I was still feeling like crap, and I look at him like, how? We were up at, like, 8. And we didn't get back until, like, 3. No I went to you... church that morning. I was going to say, no wonder you don't drink anymore. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Those guys, good lord. Yeah, all right. Top of the hour? Yeah, I feel like it's time to segue into this little <laughs> segment. I like to go. Top of the hour. That's the worst segue ever, man. But you know what, though? It We're was keeping necessary. it. We're called the Audible. We gotta call an Audible. Again. Wait, no, we can't call it Audible with the story we're leading off with. No, you're right. And it's unfortunate that we get to start it off. Because you know how I feel about kicking off Top of the Hours with a passing. And unfortunately, we had a very tragic passing this, pe- this over the weekend. Former NHLer Adam Johnson died following a freak accident during a Nottingham Panthers game. Yeah, and <clears throat> it's incredible when you watch that accident. I and can watch it, and it's very similar to the Zetnik accident, and it just goes to remind you, like how thin that border between life and death can be. Yeah, well, I know, and it's tragic. Well, even with your dad being in the military, right? Your dad could have. Yeah, the exact same thing because the jugular in your neck. Yeah, if you miss it, you're fine. If you hit it, you straight on hit it. Yeah, it's like a pinpoint accuracy thing. Yeah, and reading a lot of the news around it afterwards, the thing that just makes it so sad is how preventable it was. Just wear a neck guard. Yeah, and honestly, I wonder after the passing of Adam Johnson whether hockey leagues are now going to make it mandatory to have the Kevlar neck guards. So the English Ice Hockey Association has announced that they are phasing in a mandatory neck guard rule. Mm -hmm. The reason why it isn't immediate is they don't think manufacturers can respond in time. So good on them for just seeing like, this is what happened never again. Especially yeah. if the fix is so easy. Exactly. And unfortunately, Adam is not the first professional player who's lost their life. I I remember back in the mid-90s, there was a kid, maybe 19 years old. He played for a team in Finland, and the exact same thing happened. He got his throat slashed, and he ended up dying from it. Yeah, that's... It's tough. And I'm sure that the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins at their home game tonight they did they did a tribute to uh Johnson given that he did play a significant part of his career there yeah and i know that the la kings farm team in ontario did the exact same thing on sunday night mm-hmm. so tim we got a couple of retirements we got to talk about we're going to kick things off we're talking about former san jose sharks captain joe thornton who announced his retirement at the age of 44 
Thornton played 24 seasons with four teams, the Boston Bruins, San Jose Sharks, Toronto Maple Leafs, and Florida Panthers, recording 430 goals, 1,109 assists in 1,714 games. Honestly, I think this retirement confirms it. And I want to get your thoughts on this. Joe Thornton is the best player to never win a Stanley Cup. That's tough. I'd say Joe Thornton's up there. There's a handful of There's guys. There's a handful of guys. Adam Oates is one of them. Adam, Adam Oates. Oates, I think, would be the big one. Him, Phil Housley, Ronix, a big one. I would say the modern day, though. Modern day, yeah. Because I was thinking all time. <sighs> so tough. Because, like, yeah, I'd say Joe Thornton. Yeah, probably Joe Thornton. Joe Thornton's up there. Yeah, there's just a ton of guys in that general. I mean, Matt Sundin. Matt Sundin. And that's just centers, too. Just centers, yeah. Why am I blanking on uh, the, etern- the eternal slut? The, yeah. the eternal snub from the Hockey Hall of Fame, Buffalo. No, McGillney's got a McGillney- Oh, McGillney does? Yeah, 2000 with the Devils. Right. Yeah, it's just wild to think. Yeah, and Joe Thornton, I mean, talk about a player who I think he's one of those guys that he got so much shade throughout his career for not being a playoff performer, always being that big regular season guy. But you got to give Joe Thornton credit. I mean, he stuck it up for 24 seasons, became a legend in San Jose, played in so many big games. And the thing that really amazes me, Tim, is that there's an entire generation of hockey fans who will never understand what an earth-shattering trade Joe Thornton to San Jose originally was. Because you got to think, like, right as the lockout ended, I would say it's not the first big trade. Obviously, the Heatley-Hosa one. But Joe Thornton was the one that that put the NHL in notice that superstars are not safe. Yeah. And not only that, both teams can continue to be very good from that point on Boston there's a bit of wobbliness Mm -hmm. before Boston won that cup especially with the upset by Montreal but yeah both those teams became powerhouses of the 2010s although it is always a little funny that uh, San Jose never won a cup uh, and then somehow Joe Thornton, I think, played more playoff games with Florida than he did with Toronto. Well, I know gonna... even well, even talking about Thornton at the time of the trade, the only the how would how would I describe this in modern days? It would be like with the Leafs. Say if Toronto one day just decided, you know what, we got to shake this up. We are going to trade Austin Matthews, and we're going to build this team around Mitch Marner instead. Like that's wild. And to, and to think at the time, I mean, could you imagine if Twitter and social media and all that stuff had been as prevalent as it was in 2005, the meltdown of Joe Thornton being traded? And not just Joe Thornton being traded, Boston got nothing for him. Nowadays, when a big superstar player gets traded, it's, you know, package of players and picks and this, that, and the next thing. Joe Thornton got traded for three guys that weren't even on the Bruins when they won the Cup. <laughs> also, I checked it. Joe Thornton only actually played one game with the Panthers during the playoffs. Well, he played seven with Toronto. It would have been funnier if he did. 
the Thornton trade, and I don't want to harp so much about it, but we said this in the past, right? It's how has that trade looked now if Boston doesn't win a cup? If they go to the three cup finals and they lose all three. Yeah, that would look really bad. But then again, it's like, it's weird because didn't like Marcos, I guess Marcos Sturm was the centerpiece of that trade? Or was it Wayne Primo for Boston's return? I guess it would be Sturm. Yeah. And the funny thing was San Jose was, and people tend to forget that San Jose was actually a good team before they got there. Like, a lot of people tend to forget the 2004 season, they went to the Western Conference Finals. Yep. They did that without Joel Fortin. And then San Jose comes out of the lockout being a good team. They acquire them, they become an instant cup favorite. Yeah. Which they continue to be for like 10 years. And if Evgeny Bokov actually had a pretty good playoffs that year too. It's like probably the one year where Nabokov didn't sink them. Yeah, I often wonder, I wonder the success of the San Jose Sharks if they had, and that's something I don't want to throw shade at guys like Evgeny Nabokov, who actually did play very well in San Jose. What if they had a legit number one that actually played well in the playoffs? But what's so weird is like Nabokov was a, he was a good regular season goalie, but he would, he was anti-clutch. Like that was the issue. And I think a lot of people said that about Joel Thornton too, right? And it, this wasn't just a San Jose problem. He was saying this in Boston too. The couple of years that they actually made the playoffs is where the Bruins didn't show up. Yeah. And it's funny how when you look at the Thornton trade now, in a vacuum, San Jose won that. However, there's a domino effect of Joel Thornton being traded because, and I was thinking about this today. If Joe Thornton had remained on the Bruins in 05-06, do they have the cast space to sign Chara? No. Do they get the draft pick to get Phil Kessel? Probably not. There's a whole dynamo or dynam, yeah, domino effect of Thornton being traded and everything that surrounded the Bruins for the next six years happened. Yeah. Like, it's funny because it's like, it's so residual, right? Good on Joe Thornton. He's had a great career. I think the big thing for me, and I think he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Do you think Marlowe will be a Hall of Famer? Do I think? He's a hard one. For me, he's a hard one to kind of tell. I would say for what he's done in his career, I would say he is. I don't know. There's something about Patrick Marlowe that just... It doesn't scream. It's like he's a Hall of Famer for sure, but I don't know if he screams first ballot. No. I know I might get some shade for that, but you know what? It is what it is. Yeah. Well, it's like there's something incredible about almost 1,800 games played within itself. But like the lack of individual hardware is kind of the funny thing. Which is very funny because... Joel Thornton in 2003 almost became league MVP. He almost won the scoring title. People tend to forget that. Yeah. And he did that before he went to San Jose. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, Marlowe just doesn't have that. No, I do love the fact, though, that the Sharks 
I guess in 97, they must have been so bitter that did get the first pick that they decided, you know what? I'm going to trade for you eight years later. <laughs> That's wild. It is wild, man. But then, like, Joe Thornton, like, once he got there, he got in 2005-06, he had the Hart Art Ross season, and the rest is history, right? Yeah, Jonathan Chiju got 56. Wild. Talk about a one-year wonder, eh? Chichu. Yeah. Well, he was kind of a throw-in on the McCulloch trade. Yep. Yes, he was. So another guy announced his retirement, former Montreal Canadian Thomas Blakanek, who retired at the age of 40. Blakanek played parts of 15 seasons with the Canadians and the Toronto Maple Leafs, recording 233 goals and 375 assists in 1,000 and one games. And you know what, Tim? With Thomas Blakanek retiring, it's not just the player retiring. It's the turtleneck. That turtleneck's coming back. Yeah, I know. But Thomas Volkanek is this weird player who I think he was definitely played outside of his depth in Montreal. Just yeah. because Montreal had no centers. And he's he was fine, but I don't think he was ever good enough for kind of the billing that he got, you know? He was, I think, Thomas McGonagall himself was good. Yeah. But he was never going to be that elite number one center that the Habs were trying to make him into be. Yeah, no. And what was wild is the guy was playing, like, he was playing those for those. Yeah, he was playing those first drawing minutes. And he was good enough. Like, he was fine. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, yeah, as you're as we're saying, I don't think he was great. No. He wasn't that elite first line center. Do you believe that Thomas McClanick overachieved in Montreal? No. Do you think he just he achieved perfectly? I think he achieved as someone who was like a second, like six hundred points second line center, right? Yeah. And which is fine. Like that's what he was. I think that just because he played so much in Montreal, he probably gets overrated a bit. He's he's not going into the hall, obviously. No, and I think that's been the problem with a lot of the Montreal Canadian players is that the fan base just overrates them. Yeah, and I think the years where Montreal succeeded with Placanic in that role as a first line center were because those were years where Carey Price overachieved. Yeah, like, and and that's where I always say that Carey was one of, one of if not the. I know you've always argued for Lundqvist, but that's why I always argue for Carey because Carey did not have the team that Lundqvist had. No. Yeah, that 2014-2015 Habs team was a uh, not very good, but yeah. they somehow they Carey Price dragged them kicking and screaming to the conference final. And don't forget PK Subban and PK Subban. So, Tim, we're going to move on and talk about Sebastian Ajo, not the New York Islander one, but the Carolina Hurricane one, because he passed Rod Brennamore for fourth on the franchise's all-time points list with 474. Does that include the Whalers? Yes, it does. What a low-scoring franchise. You know what? If you want to see a crazy stat, look at the top 10 wins list for the San Jose Sharks. Kelly Rudy, 
I believe is 10th with 20. What's weird with San Jose is their net had, their net was so stable for their first for like that 10 year period where it was Nabokov for like five or six and then Miami. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine looking at it now in 2023, that 2003 04 San Jose Sharks in goal where you had Nabokov, Vesatoskala, and Mika Kippersoft? And they traded Kippersoft. Yeah. Who ended up knocking them out of the playoffs? Which is very funny. Yeah, who's actually, and he's getting his number retired in Calgary, so get on him. Yeah, well, I mean, you kind of have to. I know. I wonder if Noodle's going to be there. That'd be great. We should ask. We should. No, honestly, this is really cool. And Sebastian Ajo, I don't think it's out of the question. He might become the all-time points list winner. Yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. Because I, I think Ron, Ron Francis is way up there too, right? Yeah, like there's that huge gap. And then like Eric or Jordan Stahl are probably up there too. But uh, no, Sebastian Ajo is definitely one of those underrated talents. No, he's one of those guys who you're absolutely right. He's very underrated. Even though he's a second overall pick, I think it has to do where he's playing. Yeah, like a lot of people just don't pay a lot pay attention to carolina and honestly i'm guilty of that too like the hardest puck dokus are always carolina cross someone that's not ottawa see i go with the whalers i go with the whaler right like peter sidorkowitz stork or sidork let's go let's go buddy so tim you know how normally with top of the hour we would always have the ottawa center stories closing off top of the hour this episode is the exception, because the big news story of the week involves Ottawa Center Center Shane Pinto, who suspended 41 games in relation to sports wagering. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say this. Yep. Do you recall, on top of the hour, last season, we talked <laughs> about the NHL partnering with Bet365 and Bet Rivers and these things? Did we not say on the show this was going to happen? Yeah, I'm a little surprised it happened this quickly. Barely a season. I I think the big question is, what did Shane bet on? So I've been looking into this a bit, and uh, what I've been able to ascertain from reading other lawyers online, I'm not a lawyer, is... Proxy Shane Pinto was letting people, I'm not sure if he was betting through someone else doing the proxy bet or was letting, I think it was, he was letting people use his account to bet. Okay. And proxy betting is against, is against the terms and conditions of a lot of the sports books in the U S and in some States is considered illegal. It, it, it's legal in Nevada because that's how people were able to bet online in the United States because Nevada allowed a proxy bet. Mm-hmm. But for instance, in New Jersey, it might be, it is considered against the rules. Yeah. And I believe, I believe Shane, is Shane from Jersey? I think he's he's from the New York area. I think he's from the Jersey side. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing, I mean, this, you want to talk about a news story that just came out of nowhere. 
And of course, then there's also been reports that the senators are going to be losing draft picks in relation to the Evgeny Dadunov trade. And for me, I look at this story and honestly, again, I'm not surprised that they did this. I'm not surprised that this was going to happen. But I just feel like I don't, like, again, I know you read more into it than I did, but 41 games seemed pretty stiff given a lot of people did not know what was going on. You know what's wild about that, though? What? This is a negotiated settlement between the NHL, the NHLPA, and Pinto, which means there is no space for an appeal, which leads me to think this might be a lenient sentence. Which is wild. Yeah, but seeing a lot of the people online, you can tell a lot of people were very upset about this. But I think it also has to do with the fact is that people knew this was going to happen. People knew that, the, that, okay, the second that you got in bed with the betting sites and all this stuff, you knew players were going to do bets. Because your employer is saying, okay, well, we're in bed with them and all this stuff. So what, we're, we can't do this now? Well, it's like the teams have their policies in place. The players should know better. You know the marginal player, the person who was going to step out. When you make something easier, when you remind people of something all the time, you're going to get more of that action, more of that behavior. So there's people who might not have done something if the ads weren't there. But putting the ad there reminds them of, oh, yeah, gambling's a thing. I'm going to go gamble. Which is on their helmets. Yeah. So it's like, it's not hypocritical, but it's kind of dumb. Yeah, but just seeing a lot of the people on social media talking about it. And, of course, they're always bringing up, well, why is it that Pinto is getting these many games when a freaking NHL team was covering up sexual abuse for a decade and they got a generational talent? That's stuff that I'm seeing. I don't, the two aren't related, but it's like, hockey fans are just they want a reason to bitch they want a reason to complain and again there's another story when we get later on it's not that the NHL is not given as excuses or reason to do it well it's like the weird one I see is like there's a team that's talking about the weird one I've seen is people comparing Pinto to Batherson and say well the NHL condotes sexual assaults like come on guys Ottawa has not touched Alex Formanton Ottawa has complied with the investigation into the 2000, the 2018 World Juniors incidents. They've complied with the investigation into Pinto. That leads me to believe that it there's probably no issue with Batherson because clearly the Ottawa Sanders comply with investigations into their players. Yeah, and I know people were trying to make comparisons with this is why Pinto is not signed, but it's like, well, we don't have the cap space to do it. However, somebody, I can't remember. I apologize. But I can't remember who it was. Somebody made it that this might be a blessing in disguise because and you can correct me if I'm wrong here to serve your suspension. You have to be under contract. So there's a possible excuse. Pinto may be forced to accept his qualifying offer. Correct? No. So what basically what happened is once Ottawa was made aware of the investigation into Pinto, and this is me quoting Elliot Friedman. Okay. They could not negotiate with him. So the negotiations had to halt. And once the suspension came down, retroactive to the beginning of 
the season. All offers had been cleared. Mm-hmm. And the thinking is, is that Shane Pinto will just accept a league minimum for this year. Yeah. Which then means that Ottawa's cap situation is basically fixed. Yeah. They send down Rourke Chartier once Pinto's available and Pinto's on the team. And you know, this is going to be a great thing because Pinto may not get the 2.5 this year, but Ottawa has no dead cap for next year. All of our dead money is off the table. If Shane Pinto comes back out of suspension and does very well, he can have a very good negotiating chip now. Yeah. And what people are hearing, and this is coming from Freeman again, is that Shane Pinto, and this is a narrative that I heard a lot, was like, oh, Shane, Ottawa is alienating Shane Pinto the way they're doing this. Apparently, Shane Pinto has been very appreciative of how the Ottawa Sanders handled this whole thing. The other important thing is the December 1st deadline for signing RFAs does not apply because Pinto's not a standard RFA. He's a 10.2. So it's just a very funny situation for the Ottawa for the Ottawa Senators to find themselves in. And how is it always this team? I don't know. I mean, I thought when Eugene passed away that we were no longer going to be the news for bad reasons. No, but hey, it works out. But you know what, though, Tim? The Sens are still going to be in the news for good reasons because Amazon has announced that there will be a documentary done on former Ottawa Senators number one draft pick, Alexander Dag, to be released in 2024. Now, of course, Amazon Prime is also going to be doing one on Joe Sackick as well. But the Alexander Dag one, I'm very fascinated what they're going to do with this because I've read interviews with Dag in the last several years it very much seems like he is very much okay with the situation. He openly stated, he says, you know what, like his kids are into hockey and he says, I tell my kids play defenseman because at worst you're going to play a thousand games. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. But you know, he seems very, what's the word I want to hear? Maybe comfortable. Well, yes, he understands, like, yeah, this is how people are going to view him, but there's nothing he can really do about that. And he's made his peace with it. Yeah, that, that's the word I was trying to find. Thank you. Yeah, he very much made his peace. So I'm very interested to see how Amazon handles this, because this isn't like ESPN with 30 for 30 or E60 or some of these sport documentaries that we've seen in the past. We're not exactly sure how Amazon's going to do with this. Because the only thing we are basing this off is that their series they did with the Leafs. And that was weird. Yes. Was it you were telling me that there's like, they had these, they would go into the locker rooms and just film the, like a co- coaches taking the strip off players and shit like that. Like just really weird footage. No, I do know what you're talking about. No, I believe it was when we had the Matt Nath. Right. That's Daniel podcast when he was on. Right, right, right. Like, I just don't... I've, I'm not a fan of any of Amazon's originals. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this could go... The, yeah, I'm... It's an interesting topic. I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, and I haven't watched any of Amazon's originals, so I can't comment. But I am kind of curious to see how they're going to handle this, because... This is a subject that 
over the years, I'm actually kind of surprised nobody has really done any special or any kind of documentary on it. Yeah. Because this four and a half years with the Senators was so tumultuous. Especially if you read some of the stuff, whether it be the bomb threat or certain stuff that he did in Ottawa. I know with like spitting chicklets, they've had a number of ex-senators who have been very open in their dislike of Alex in the past. I know Brian Berard's bid, Matthew Barnaby played with him in juniors, not a fan of his. So, so very curious to see how they're going to do this. Yeah, it's, it's worth a watch, I guess. Now, something that apparently is not worth the watch anymore is the NHL draft because the NHL has issued a memo to teams stating that there is a majority support for a decentralized draft. Again, remember we were talking about that the NHL kind of seems to give their fans a reason to not be happy. I I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know. Is it going to change much? I guess it's just Gary Bettman announces the draft picks instead of the teams like what's going on i don't know and this is where i'm very fat interested to see how they do it because i have heard i I believe it was elliot freeman or darren drager and they mentioned about for a decentralized draft they might do it how the nfl does it where they might just have a handful of prospects go to the draft yeah you okay yeah just got something in your tooth yeah i hate it's just like the <laughs> But yeah, it's like, I don't really know if it's going to make much of a difference. Yeah, it's more of a, we'll, we'll see how it does. But I feel that if it does take away a very special moment from kids going into the draft, that's where I kind of have an issue because kids who are very highly ranked prospects going to the draft, that's their dream. Yeah is to be have their name called by a team, come up to the stage, and all that good stuff that comes along with it. So if that gets taken away from them, then I have a problem with Okay. That. Yeah, although it's kind of unrelated, but I know that for years, Don Cherry on Coach's Corner, every uh, playoff end, he always added right at the end about kids going to the draft. He says, unless you are guaranteed first or second round, do not go. He yeah. says, because if you were, say, touted as a third-round pick, there's a very good chance you're not going to get drafted. So, unless you're guaranteed first or second, because that's the last thing you want, is to go to the draft and you're not picked. Like, just and be sitting there at the end and be like, hmm. Yeah. Honestly, I'm a little surprised that the teams don't tip players off. Yeah, I guess so, too. Like, even if they... I, I believe the NFL does this. I, I believe the NFL, when they call when they pick their players, they call the agent first. Yeah. They call the agent right before they make the pick. They're like, hey, listen, let your client know we're taking them here. Hmm. So we're going to close off top of the hour, Tim, by talking about a suspension. Buffalo Sabres defenseman Connor Clifton was suspended two games for an illegal check of the head against New Jersey Devil Center. Nico Heischer. Tell you, I really uh, kind of screwed my fantasy team with that one too. <laughs> oh, I have Heisher too. He's freaking out. Yeah, and I saw the hit. It's a bad one. But yeah, no, just hope that Nico Heisher makes a quick recovery because that did not look like a nice hit. No, I mean getting a hit in the head, regardless, is never fun, especially when we get to talking about the Islanders game too with Brandstrom. Yeah. 
just yeah, a lot of not nice hits. Not good, man. Not good. Well, Tim, that wraps up top there for this week, which means only one thing. It's time to start talking about some games. Now, we got three games on the schedule. We got the Sabres versus the Sens, Sens versus the Islanders, and the Sens versus the Penguins. But before we do that, let's hit the music. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sabres versus the Senators. This is a 6-4 Sabres victory. Sabres goals are scored by Jeff Skinner with two, Tage Thompson with two, Zygmunt Gurgison, and Alex Tuck. Sens goals are scored by Jacob Shikrin, Vladimir Tarasenko, Josh Norris, and Matthew Joseph. Shots were 38-24 for the Senators. Now, like I said, when we were reca- recapping our week, this is my two-year anniversary that night, so I did get a chance to watch the game. Did get a chance to watch some of the condensed version. I gotta say, you gotta feel for Travis Hamnick. Rings it off the crossbar, but Chikrin cleans with the rebound. Yeah. And this game was, the first five minutes and the last five minutes were a very good Senders effort. The rest was just very frustrating to watch, where the Sens just couldn't buy a dang bounce. Yeah. Every mistake they made ended up in the back of the net. Yeah, which is not a great showing, given that this is the night that Craig Anderson officially retired an Ottawa Senator, and I love the ceremony first drop with the two goalies. Yeah, that was funny. That's a nice touch. I really like that. Yeah, and uh, neither, both goalies played bad. Forsberg definitely played worse Mm -hmm. with a .72 save percentage, and there were two goals that he definitely wanted back yeah but there was a couple of them that i'm watching where it's either a bad bounce or something happens and you're like again over the last six seasons you know i always try to stick up for the goalies when you make a play or you see a goal and like eh, yeah okay i'll give you that one but yes yeah, some of them i'll agree with you on that he like the skinner goal in particular sure stutzla lost his man but you have to be solid on the post. Do you want to talk about the goalie change? So, at the beginning of the third period, Corpusalo replaced Forsberg. Except nobody told Forsberg. Until yeah. Travis Hamannick went out and said, hey, you got pulled. Yeah, that's, that's a fuck up on DJ. Yeah. DJ should have told him. Hit the shower, man. You're, you're done for the night. And especially, and seeing it happen that publicly is just, that's rough. No, that's, in, no, that really is like, it, it bad enough that if Anton Forsberg had such a tough night, like you said, 7-2-2 save percentage, 13 saves, but to be embarrassed like that, to go in the net, you're ready for the third period and have an exit like, hey, you're you're on the bench, dude. Kudos to Corpusalo. Uh, he was perfect for the third frame. Yep. But just Goonie night for Ottawa. I think that, and the the nice thing is, is the Sens did come back in this one. They did. And, you know, there's a couple of guys I want to talk about here. Vladdy Tarasenko. I mean, God, talk about a guy who, as critical as the Sens fans were when we signed him, he's really panning out to be a very nice pickup for us. Yeah. And as bad as the Norris line has been, Norris and Joseph scoring within 30, within 30 seconds of each other, really took a game that looked like it was dead and put Ottawa in it for the last minute, at least. 
And it felt like the Sens were mounting a comeback for like the last 10 minutes, 10, last five, 10 minutes, five in particular. It is nice, but just such a flat effort for the like the first and second. Yeah. And the only other note I want to talk about here, the Brady to Chuck moment where he goes after Alex Tuck. And honestly, I'm amazed he did not get suspended for this. Yeah. Although, funnily enough, I think that lit, that did light a fire under the Sens' asses. Yeah. Although, like, did you see Alex Tuck's face in the post game? No, I didn't. Like, dude, he looked like Two Face from Batman. Like his one, like his eye was completely black. Brady got him that good. Brady got him that good. I wonder because he also bounced his head off the ice too. Oh yeah. Because I think. According, I, th- I want to say Brady said something in the post game where he said like Alex Tuck grabbed his hair when he did it. So, uh, so Brady in retaliation punched him. So I think he either punched him or grabbed his head, just slammed it into the ice. But at the same time, though, I didn't realize Brady had enough hair to grab. I'd be amazed, actually. That's you true. Think- but then again, he's got a pretty big melon too, so I would have to imagine that. He's got some, like, it's a little, not a fro. It's not like when he was a rookie, but he's got a little bit of hair there. He can that's true, that's true. Get a little handful. Not a big handful, but a little handful. All right. Moving on, talking about the second game of the evening. Sens versus Islanders. This is a 3-2 to Islanders victory. Sens goes scored by Claude Giroux and Jacob Shikrin. Islander goals are scored by Bo Horvat, Kyle Clutterbuck, and Noah Dobson. Shots for 47-38. For Ottawa, and talking about a player who hit his head on the ice, that moment with Eric Brandstrom. I am, dude. We have not gotten any update on how he's doing. Well, we know he's concussed. Yeah. So it and it's in an indefinite uh, period of injury. I am, I am amazed that Cal Cutterbuck didn't even get a fine for that. The hit was late. The hit was high. Yeah. And it was east-west hitting a north-south player. So it was a blindside hit. And, like, it's incredible seeing how many people say that's a clean hit. That is that is not... That should not be clean in the NHL. Yeah. I just... You gotta feel for Clutterbuck, even though it was a bad hit. When you see a guy like that, because I believe he had... I think he was convulsing on the ice as well. When that, you see that happening, you're thinking, oh my god, did I just kill him. Yeah. And that's the problem with inconsistent refing. Yeah. You get players, especially guys like Cal Clutterbuck, who have been suspended a lot. You tend to forget how long he's been in the NHL, eh? Yeah. Playing on that edge. He also and they have that long-term contract, too. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know how he how he didn't get suspended from that hit. Yeah, but I do love the fact that the Senators did use the emotion after the Brandstrom hit to tie the game. Unfortunately, they didn't get the W. No, and Ottawa really took it to the net. And it's just Ilya Sorokin bailed out the Islanders. Sorokin, I bet on the Girugo, I bet he wants that one back. Guy yeah. in front, he just slides out of the way and the puck goes past him and goes, shit. Because the Shikran goal was nice. Oh, yeah, dude. That Shikran goal was beautiful. 
But then again, the Giroud goal wasn't too bad either. No. So the only other note I got on this game, Tim, is that this was Travis Hamannick's 800th career game. Nice. You can also... One other thing is that the line blend... The lines got changed. They took Kubelik off of Norris and Batherson and placed him with Giroud and Stutzla. Because that Kubelik, Norris, Batherson line just wasn't working. No, the nine line wasn't working. And the Kubelik, Stutzla, Giroud line... They got a goal, but it was definitely one of the weaker lines. Yeah, well, Dominic Kubelik is going to be a guy we're going to be talking about here in our third and final game of the evening. Senators vs. Penguins. This is a 5-2 Senators victory. Senators goes recorded by Brady Chuck with two, Ridley Grigg, Dominic Kubelik, and Drake Batherson. Pens goes recorded by Sidney Crosby and Jake Gunzel. Shots were 42-26 the Penguins. So interesting thing about this game. So I did watch the game at Mama's Place. But I was also carving pumpkins. Nice. Uh, I was too busy getting my uh, finger cut by Beyblades. Yeah. Hard to believe, man. You cut your knuckle in the same night that Dominic Kublik gets his first to the center. And honestly, this is the first game I've actually noticed on. Yeah, they put they moved him onto the Grieg line. And Grieg and Joseph have been a very good pair and they've like, they played well with Tarasenko. They played well with Kubelik. This game is also just very funny. I don't want to call it an outright sensing. No. But that first period, they score a quick goal. White knuckle it, just rope a dope Pittsburgh. Score mm-hmm. another one. Get a quick Kubelik's goal. Just kind of puts the dagger through the heart. And uh, Tristan Jari might have put up one of the worst performances I've seen from a goalie in a very long time. He really did not look good. Unlike Jonas Coprasalo with 40 saves and a point nine five two save percentage. Yeah. Admit it. And what's wild is Pittsburgh shots were coming from in tight from the dots everywhere. Like it was good quality shots and Corpusalo was keyed in again. He, and thankfully he really was because again, the Senators are without three defensemen. We're out Zub, Branstrom, and then we find out on the Shabbat Friday. broke his hand. Thomas Shabbat broke his hand against the Islanders. The hard thing is, is I've seen I've seen people after the game saying that like Clevin and Mantipalo played well and that maybe it should be JPD going down. Guys, Clevin played nine minutes. Mantipalo played eight. JBD played 22. Shikran and Sanderson played 26. Mm-hmm. It looks like Zub should be back for this week. I would drop. It's probably Mantapalo going back down. Yeah. Sorry. Actually, the one comment I, I didn't make on the Isles game is that honestly, I thought Shabbat didn't look too bad in that game, though. No, Shabbat's been looking great. Yeah, and I don't understand. Like, why is Shabbat all of a sudden since Twitter's whipping boy? I don't want to say it's a. I don't want to say that Simmer's a hater. Is that something that I'm going to have to edit out of the episode? Maybe. But it's like, it's just weird that it's kind of come out of nowhere. People are like, oh, Shabbat's bad at defense. When Shabbat is, other than like a, the odd, very odd defensive <laughs> miscue, Shabbat's been great. Like very, like Sorry. the mobility is fantastic. I think the shooting is better than last year. It's just bizarre. Yeah, I don't understand. I thought Shabbat's actually looked pretty decent this year. But then again, I've, I've always been kind of lenient on Thomas Shabbat because I want to see him succeed. But 
Brady to Chuck, I mean, the two goals, I got to say that second one, you're absolutely right on Tristan Jari, because that's when I watched that. I was like, ooh, what? Weak. Like, that's actually like the, excuse me? But Dominic Kubalik, that goal is a career ender. Oh my God. That was thing it? is a laser. Dude, I was watching that at my mom's place, and I'm sitting there like, did Kubalik just score? Really? Well, it's funny because, like, with the Pinto suspension, like, all the trade rumors at Ottawa are just gone. I know. And actually, you know what? I'm going to say right now, would Pierre Doran have been fired if we had traded Joseph in a first to try and resign Pinto? I think so. That's fireable right there. It's a good thing he didn't. Yeah, because there is no, like, in-between with Doran. He either makes trades that make him look like a genius or he makes trades that makes him look like an idiot. Yeah, like, there's definitely no middle of the road with Pierre Dorian, is there? No, you know he what he reminds me of? is Jim Rutherford. Jim Rutherford yeah. would make trades that make him look like a goddamn genius. He would look like a genius, but then there's trades that would make him look like an idiot. Yeah, and there's my favorite one with Rutherford is he made a trade and NHL office called it back. Yeah. Because he was trying to play for a trade for a player that Pittsburgh had already retained salary for. Jesus Christ. Like, that's on the same level as the Dodonov trade. Yeah. That's a Dodonov trade, man. I'm interested to see what really comes out of that because I think it might just be a simple paperwork issue. Yeah. Although it's funny, uh, on the day of recording here, there's definitely people are dipping into the rumor mill pretty deeply to talk about a power struggle, like that this issue might have come out of some an alleged the alleged power struggle between uh, Pierre Dorian and, and Pierre Maguire. Ooh. Come. Okay. Yeah. The particular tweet that did come from Simmer suggested that uh, Pierre Dorian would call, refer sorry, Pierre Dorian would refer to Pierre Maguire as the rat when Pierre Maguire was in the room. You know what? Do, do we even need to take Simmer seriously? I don't know. It's like that one, it seems so tweets. sensational. You look at some of his tweets and you're like, do I need to take this seriously i don't know i have a feeling that there's going to be like a truth in the middle on this one because yeah that one's that one's pretty muckraker yeah so it'll be interesting to see what comes out of the dodonov but it seems so weird that a trade from two years ago is only getting punished now it doesn't take that long to investigate things why is the why is it being open now so, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on these games before we head off into the close for another episode? No, I think I'm good. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find the show on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. As well, you can find us on all social media at Third Line Plug. You can find Tim on Twitter at m 901 honeybadger And you can also find me on social media at GreatWhite. Gipster. That's G-R-8-W-I-T-E Gipster. So Tim, for this coming week, 
it's gonna be a shorter week. We only got two games to talk about. We've yeah, good. Yeah, and with the lack of defense bid the Ottawa Senators have, maybe that's a good thing. Thursday, we're going to be playing the Los Angeles Kings at home, and Saturday, we're going to be welcoming the Tampa Bay Lightning. We've we've played the Lightning twice, but we haven't played the Leafs or the Habs. This is a weird schedule. I think the week after. I think the week after we play. Oh, okay. So it might be the return of the wrestling team. So, yeah, let's do it. You know how much I enjoy <laughs> As you do. Until next week. Guys. All right, Nicholas. And the spin Tim Jensen. Let's go.